right, good morning everybody. My name is Alex. I am one of the elders here and uh, so I get the privilege a few times a year to get to come up here and uh, take us through God's word. Um, so to start off, who out here likes gardening? Yeah, I, I love it. It's a ton of fun. Now, especially here in the desert, right? I, this approach doesn't really work, right? You can't go like put a seed in the dirt and then come back a couple months later and you got something there, right? You're not just going to have tomatoes magically appear, right? Um, it takes work, right? It takes effort. You got to get out there. You got to get the soil ready. You got to get the compost in there. You got to weed. Out here, you got to water like 20 times a day. Um, you know, you got all this work getting the bugs out of there if you want to have any real fruit from it. Um, and so my wife and I, we've been trying our hands at this for several years now. And I feel like this year we've kind of gotten to a point where it's like, hey, this is actually like semi-successful. Um, you know, we had the first year, we put some stuff out there. We had a couple garden beds we made and, you know, we got a little bit out of there. I made like, you know, a can of pizza sauce. That was, that was about it. Um, and then the next year we did a little bit more. We put in another garden bed and, you know, tilled up this other area of ground and, we grew a ton of squash bugs, so that was really fun. Um, but this year, like, you know, we really put in some time up front, put in a drip system and fenced it off and did all this work, and um, it's really paying off. Um, we're seeing a lot more fruit come in, um, seeing way more tomatoes, the squash bugs are gone, all this stuff, which is, yes, that's exciting. Um, but gardening is a really great kind of way of thinking about relationships. Relationships take work, they take time, they take investment. You kind of, over the years, you get better at kind of figuring out, okay, this is how I need to interact with this person, this is what they're looking for, this is what fulfills them, things like that. Um, I don't know what the relationship version of manure is. Um, it's probably something like, you know, you got like a booger hanging out your nose, you wanna make sure you let them know these things. It's a little, little uncomfortable in the moment, but in the long run, things grow. Um, so uh, today we're going to be looking at Ephesians. We're continuing on with this series. Um, Derek started it off that first week looking at our identity in Christ. Um, ben continued it on last week, really looking into rightly setting our desires. And we're going to continue it on this week um, in Ephesians here. We're going to be in, our primary verses are 14 to 21. Um, but I'm actually going to start back at verse 8 because... This is really a, a whole theme running through all of these, so I want to overlap a little bit here. So we'll be in Ephesians 5, starting at verse 8. Ben was really ahead of schedule and like had page numbers for you guys. I didn't do that, so you're going to have to find it yourself in there. All right. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. 
Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Father, we thank you for this time to come together today. Lord, we thank you that, um, that you have given us instructions on, on how relationships work. Um, God, you have a, been an example to us of what a relationship should look like. God, that it, it requires sacrifice, that it requires work, that it requires denying ourselves and, and looking to the goods of others. Father, I pray that you would be working in us as we go through these verses today to convict us in the places where we need to grow, encourage us in the places that um, we're doing well, and um, God, that you would give us the strength to live amongst each other um, well and to serve you well. In Jesus' name, amen. So, uh, as I mentioned, Derek kind of started this with looking at identity. We really looked at you know, we were slaves and then now we're adopted. He had the coat that he, he took off the one coat and put on the other. And, you know, we wear this coat now. This is our identity. And then the next week, Ben actually had a line that really stuck with me all, all through the week. He said, idolatry is what happens when we decide God can't satisfy. I thought that was just a great summary of, uh, of what we were looking at there, of rightly setting our desires. When we decide God can't satisfy we go into idolatry. That's the natural outcome of it. And looking at that in relationships, when we idolize our relationships, we expect them to do what only God can do. We're going to fail. We idolize the relationship then. We need to understand that only God can fully satisfy. And Paul's going to continue on building up this point um, to kind of the, the conclusion towards the end of this and into next week's message. But... Um, he talks about light and dark a lot in here. And, and he has kind of a weird way of saying this. He says, anything that becomes visible is light. It's kind of a weird statement when you first hear it. it I, I, when I first read that and I was like really looking at it, I was like, what in, what in the world is Paul trying to say? But if you think about it, when we're seeing things, right, what we're seeing is there's either light reflecting off of something or light emanating from something, right? It, it, there's a source of light that we are seeing. And what he's saying in here is, if we're seeing something, that's because there's a light shining on it or emanating from it. Um, and so what happens is we have Christ, when we move into the light, we have Christ shining on us. Now what happens when light shines on you? A whole lot of things become visible, right? There's a whole lot of stains that we all of a sudden see. We were just singing this song up here, and I, one of the lines in there was um, about God showing our sins. And then it goes on to grace, grace, God's grace. See, that light shining on us is kind of the first step to, to starting a relationship, to starting the, the buildup of a relationship. As you look at yourself first and go, ah, oh, there's a really ugly stain right here. And... God's showing you that out of grace. It is grace, grace, God's grace. Um, and so what does this mean in the context of relationships? It's the line that, that Paul quotes here from Isaiah. Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, 
and Christ will shine on you. We need that light. We need that light to show us where we're broken and to show us where we need God to be working in us to repair us so that we can start building relationships with others. Now, I, I usually kind of get ready for work around like 5.30, somewhere in the morning, and it's pretty dark. And so I usually try to make sure I have all my clothes and everything ready to go. But I don't always do that. And so sometimes, you know, I'll like get dressed, and then I get into the bathroom, and I'm like, that's not the shirt I thought it was. Or you get in there, and you're like, oh, there's a big old grease stain on here I didn't even see. And so this is God's grace showing us these stains. Now, the way we usually deal with this, though, is it's a lot easier to see other people's stains, right? There's not this mirror in front of us all the time. So this light shines. And what's the first thing we do? Oh, look at that. It's an ugly stain. It obviously got ketchup, had burgers or something last night, right? Um, but what God's intent in this is, is not for us to see the stains in others. It's for us to see the stains in ourselves and then when we start working with other people and you see a stain on them, you're like, oh, I've been there. I know that stain. Or it's, oh, I've got that same one right here. And hey, let's figure this out together. How do we work through this? And so the first point on your handout there is before we can grow any relationship, we must first recognize our own brokenness. So this is going to be the foundation for building any relationship here, is A, I'm broken, rather than A, this person's annoying. We start with us. We start with our brokenness. Going on to verses 15 and 16, he says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. So we first see these stains as Christ shines on us, but that's not enough. We don't want to just get a glimpse of these stains real quick and go, okay, I got to deal with that. It's, it, it continues on. We look carefully then how we walk. It's to continue to see these stains, to find more so that you can deal with them, so that you can pray and ask God to help you deal with them. We need to make sure we didn't miss any, and we're not making any new stains, right? And so it's be careful then how we walk. And he says, not as unwise, but as wise. It's another word for unwise. Stupid, yeah, that's a decent one. I was going to go with dumb, but I, yeah, a stupid works too. So, um, but yeah, that's what he's saying. Don't be dumb. That's basically what he's saying right there. And then he goes on to say, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. So I'm going to give you kind of my modern translation of verses 15 and 16. It, it, he's basically saying, don't be dumb or lazy. That's what Paul's saying right here. It sounds a little nicer in here, but that's pretty much what he's saying. Now, we talk in the, here a lot about being giving of our time, our talents, and our treasure because um, alliteration is fun. So... Um, but it, it helps us remember, right? Time, talents, treasure. That's generally the categories from which we're giving. Now, I would argue that time is the hardest of these to give. You can't get time back. 
And talents, if you're given talents, how are you doing that? You're using time, right? You're, you're taking this skill that you have and then you're giving time to use that skill. Treasure, I mean, you could find a side hustle somehow, you could work some extra hours, all these things, but, but all these things take more time. Time is the, the one thing that we are probably the stingiest with because we all know this basic fact that once it's spent, you ain't getting it back. It's gone. You have spent that time. It is gone. Now this, in the, the ESV here, um, which is what I have, that's generally what's under the chairs, but some of you might have another translation that uses a different phrase in here. Instead of saying making the best use of the time, it, it might say redeem the time. I really like that word. Um, if you look at that Greek word that's used there, it means to buy up completely. I, it, it reminds me of uh, when Jesus is telling the parable of the pearl of great price. And there's, there's a merchant, and he, it, he, Jesus is doing this as like a comparison to the kingdom of God. But he talks about the kingdom of God is like this pearl of great price. And there's a merchant who comes across it, and he sees it, and he, he has to have it. He gives everything, does everything he needs to to purchase this pearl of great price. And that is what Paul's saying here is, it, the, the word that comes to mind that always makes me think of Jack Black is tenacious. We should be tenacious in grabbing up all this time, right? It's just seeking to get every last drop of it. If we're not actively pursuing that, if we're not actively going and scooping up this time and redeeming it, Paul says, the days are evil. The default state of time is evil, unless you are actively redeeming it. So your next point on there is to allow time to slip by unredeemed will leave that time as evil. It's like the garden. If you're not putting the time into it up front, that garden's going to fail. Or you're going to have a whole lot more struggle later on. So I'll tell you what, squash bugs, if you don't get those things early in the season, it's all over. You're done. Your squash plants are going to be toast. And those things are the absolute worst. Chickens won't even eat them. I, I, like, I would grab the squash bug off of there, throw it in the chicken coop. Chickens would come over and be like, nah, nah, I ain't eating that. Mm-mm. And they eat everything, everything. You need vigilance. You stay on top of it. You are using the time wisely up front. Now, I'm not saying this because I'm really good at it. Let me just be upfront about that. In fact, I, I've got a little example I'll give you here. But um, in my 20s, I, so I went to school and I, I was working full time, doing school part time, and I was going for an engineering degree. Um, and so it was basically like work all day, get home, hang out with the kids, hang out with the wife, get the kids to bed, and then start doing lectures online because I was doing the online thing. And I had one night, I finished the first lecture, you know, great, making some progress. I'm going to take a quick break. Well, like two hours later, after starting playing Team Fortress 2 on the computer, I look at the clock and I go, I probably should have been doing school for a whole heck of a lot of that time here, right? And, um, and God just like kind of gave me a little bit of a gunt punch right there and was like, what are you doing? Now, is it fine to take a few minutes break? 
Absolutely. Is it fine to go and stop for two hours? Eh, that's probably not good. Um, and so God just kind of grabbed me right there and was like, hey, you've got to use your time wisely. There's no way you're going to make it through this school thing if your five-minute break is two hours every time. Now, I want to do a little sidebar for the guys in here real quick. If we look at our country today, men in general are, are failing in our society. If you look at the statistics right now, one in four children have no biological, adoptive, or stepfather in the home. One in four. That's insane. There's one in 67 children have no mother. One in four have no fa uh, male father figure in the home. One in four. Now, to be clear here, I'm just looking at statistics, right? I, I, God can redeem any situation. I, I'm not trying to point fingers or anything like that, but we've got to understand the problem here. If we look at the statistics, we know that not having a father in the home increases risks of criminal activity, teenage pregnancy, drug use, infant mortality. These things are awful. Men are failing in our society. And as godly men in the church, we should be on the front lines pointing this out, fighting against this, setting the examples in our home of what God has called men to do. We set the example in our home, and then we go out into our society, and we set the example in our society. We show what healthy, stable families should look like. Get involved. There's after-school programs where you can get there and be, be a volunteer. Go do it. Coach a kid's soccer team. All these things we can do. Mentor somebody. Do you know somebody that needs a mentor, just needs somebody who they can talk to, who they can listen to, a young man who maybe is a little bit lost, because let's face it, guys, we were all lost for a little while there, right? We look back on our lives and, I mean, really that like, well, really from like zero up to, well, forever, let's be honest, but the 15 to like 25 range, like, oh my gosh, we were idiots. Let's be real, right? <laughs> Just bad decision after bad decision. We need somebody in those moments to point it out to us who can sit us down and be like, hey, look, this was unwise. Use the unwise word. Don't use the other one. Unless you know them really well and you can get away with it. But ask yourself, when was the last time you went to bed and you were just wrung out, like just completely worn out from the day because you woke up that morning you started off, you spoke to God, and you said, God, get me through this day. You went into work. You worked your butt off all day being an example to your coworkers, working hard for your boss. You get home at the end of the day. You're already tired because you were just working all day. You get home, though. You go and talk to the wife, find out, hey, what can I do to serve you? What can I do to help you through the night? You get on the ground, play with your kids, talk to them about their day. Ask them how their day went. What are their struggles? What are they going through? Help them with their homework. Get them all to bed. Then you talk to the wife again and find out how the day really was because she couldn't tell you with all the little heathens in the room at the moment. She find out, you know, what, what was your day really like? 
What can I do for you? How can I pray for you? Get into your Bible, pray to God and thank him for this crazy day you just had. And end that day just worn out, just completely wrung out for the kingdom of God. Those are great days. Those are amazing days. Those are the days that God made us for. And there's a couple reasons for that. We need to understand a couple things. One is our source of peace and rest is nothing in this world. Our source of peace and rest is God. And guys, we also often need to be reminded that we are not self-sufficient. We often tend to think that we can just fix things all the time. We can take care of it ourselves. We need to be reminded that God is the one that we need. He's the one that's going to get us through. He's the one that's going to help us. And let's be real. I was just talking about some of the stupid decisions we made. How about a bored man? You know, we do plenty of, like, kind of stupid things. You get a guy bored, oh, boy. We will outdo ourselves for sure. And so if we're sitting around bored, we got to ask ourselves, how am I redeeming the time? How am I going to redeem this time? What can I do to make myself a more capable man to help my family, my community? What can I do? And there's a couple verses. Um, I, I didn't get them into the slides because I got them in here a little bit later on. But in Genesis 4-7, God is talking to Cain right before Cain kills Abel, and he says, Sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. And in 1 Peter 5.8, Peter writes, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. When guys get bored, sin is sitting there like, here we go. Redeem the time. All right, that's the end of the sidebar right there. But, um, I, and rem I'm not trying to shame anyone here, right? I, I mean, I just told you my failings in this, right? I'm still working. God's still working in me to help me see where I'm failing in this. And that's, that's that process of sanctification that we've been talking about. It's, it's growth over time. It's that night God grabbed me and was like, hey, this right here, you can't do that. It's growth over time. God will reveal these stains to you as that light is shining on you. And it's freeing. When God shows you those things that are holding you back from living for him, oh, it's just like you were carrying this weight around and struggling and struggling, and you're like, oh, I don't need it. I don't need this. This is just waste. You set it aside, and, and you're free to serve him more. You're free to live for God the way that he intended you to. There's a couple other verses here I want to hit real quick. That um, So Paul was the writer in Ephesians here, and I, I want to look at a couple other verses, um, one that he didn't write but is about him speaking to the elders, actually, at Ephesus here. So in Acts 20... Paul, Paul says, speaking to the elders, he says, I have coveted no one's silver or gold or clothes. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my own needs and to the men who were with me. In everything I showed you, 
that by working hard in this manner, you must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, that he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And then just a few verses before what we're reading today, in Ephesians 4.28, he says, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. What do you notice in those two verses? What's the reason that Paul gives for working? It's not about me. I don't work harder for me. I work harder for others. He says, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Talking to the thief, he says, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. We work for the good of others. Now, maybe this is money. Yeah, I mean, he's talking about money in these verses specifically. But maybe it's just time. Maybe it's carving out some time to spend with somebody who just needs someone to talk to. Maybe it's helping somebody move, something physical. Maybe you've got some talent that you have that you can use to help others. So your next point in the handout, redeem the time because someone else is depending on it. Just a few pages back in Ephesians 2, verse 10, he says, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God's got good works planned for you. He's got them set out there for you to step right into, and you should be ready for each one of those. How are you preparing yourself to step into those good works that God has prepared you for? God has someone that you are meant to serve, and you have right now to start getting ready for that. Um, a lot of you guys have probably heard of the, the quote, um, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Pretty famous quote, right? Well, it's said by this guy, Lord Acton. Um, I think that's kind of how everybody knows him. But he actually has this other quote that I, I, I really like. Um, it is, liberty is not the power of doing what we like, but the right of being able to do what we ought. That's what freedom is for, is to work for others, to do it well, to serve others well. We are free to serve. As Christians, we should embody this. And this makes sense, because you, you, you look through the, all of Scripture, all of Judeo-Christian kind of ethics and morality, and it's all about serving others. That's why Christ tells us to take up our cross daily. We die to ourselves. What kind of rights do dead men have? Dead men have no rights. Our right, once we have died to Christ, is to live for him, to do as he has called us to. All right, going on to verse 17, he says, Therefore, do not be foolish, 
but understand what the will of the Lord is. So our word that we were using earlier for unwise, we're going to go ahead and throw that in for foolish too. Don't be dumb again, is what Paul's telling us here. But he says, understand what the will of the Lord is. So we were just talking about we're free to serve him and what he would have us do. So what is God's will for us? How do, how do we know what God's will for us is? You know, we're, we're always asking ourselves that, right? What, what job should I take? Where am I going to go for vacation? What, what am I gonna, where are my kids going to do when they get older? All these things. Like, what is God's will for my life? So Paul didn't have your vacation in mind when he was writing this, obviously, right? He didn't have my vacation in mind. What he's getting at is what theologians call the revealed will of God and the hidden will of God. So the revealed will of God is, is basically everything that's written in here, right? Where it says, God's will for you is this, right? They're very clear, explicit. And then there's the hidden will, which is just kind of the day-to-day, -day, like, what am I going to have for lunch? Things like that, right? And so what, what Paul's getting at here is the revealed will of God. And his point here, and it's the next point in your, your handout, is that we know the will of God by knowing God. We have a relationship with him, right? Husbands and wives, how do you know what, what your spouse enjoys? It's because you know them, because you spent years with them, getting to know them. And so I know that if my wife's had a hard day, I should probably pour a glass of wine. I know this because I've run into it several times, right? <laughs> so we know the will of God by knowing God. We spend time in his word. We spend time in prayer, getting to know him. We have the relationship. And so you can then take that and, and extrapolate that into the hidden will. So if, if you are following God, if you're spending time in his word, you're spending time in prayer, you're earnestly seeking him. You're in communion with fellow believers who can help guide you. You're doing all these things that, that are explicitly called out in scripture. Do you know what God's will for your life is and, and all the other things? It's whatever you want. Because at that point, if you're indwelt with the Holy Spirit and you're earnestly seeking him and everything, who's running your wants at that point? It's the Holy Spirit in you. God's will for your life is whatever you want then. Now, if you're not doing those other things, be careful there. That's not going to work out too well for you. The first step is know God, have a relationship with him. But once you have that, God's will for your life is whatever he's just called you into. And you're going to know it because you're going to want that. Going through the last few verses here, 18 through 21, he says, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So one thing I don't want you guys to walk away with today is like a, oh, I've got to just do. Like, I've got, I've got to make sure that I'm doing a lot more. And it's going to be this burden on me to, to make sure I'm using all my time well and I'm working real hard and doing all this stuff. The end result of all this 
is joy, peace, thankfulness, singing and making melody to the Lord. That's not somebody that's just like burdened by all these things they have to do. They're stepping into it because it's a joy to step into. And when we look at that in the context of relationships, you can see him pointing to this right now. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. It's joy in building relationships. It's joy in walking through all the work and effort it takes to build a healthy relationship, to have a healthy marriage, to have a good relationship with your children. It's joy and peace in all of that. And it ends in us being thankful. It's a constant attitude of being thankful. He says, giving thanks always and for everything, always and for everything to God the Father. It takes time, though. It takes time. It takes involvement. In 2 Corinthians 9, 6, Paul writes, Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Are you putting the time in to your relationships? Are you investing the work that it needs? Maybe having the hard conversations, right? The, the manure part of it. Are you doing those things? Are you putting that time into it? Relationships don't grow by themselves. Children need watering. They need feeding. They need learning. Parents, sometimes we need a little revitalizing from our children, right? We need a little bit of that childish energy in us. So the, the last point here in your handout. We need to be constantly sacrificing for and engaging in relationships to make them fruitful. We sacrifice for and we engage in. And it is a joy. Father, thank you for being able to come together to be in your word, to see what you have called us to to see the, the responsibility we have to each other and to you, God, to see that you'll walk with us through every bit of it. You'll show us our stains. You'll show us how to, how to clean those stains. God, I pray that um, we would all walk in humility, God. We would get outside ourselves, recognize that our only hope in this life is in you, that all the stains, the sin, the brokenness that we see in others, we, it's right here in us too. And we need you to get us through that so that we can build the relationships, God, and show this world what a healthy family should look like. We love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.